Good evening, First Norfolk. Thank you for joining us again as we uh, venture through this study in the, uh, study in the book of Acts. Uh, we've been on this uh, course uh, through uh, weeks and weeks and even months of studying the book of Acts on Sundays and on Wednesdays, and I pray that it is as um, inspiring to you as it is to me. I pray that through this study, God takes our church and, and molds us into the kind of church that we see in the book of Acts. And one of the things that really inspires me about the story of the book uh, of the church in the book of Acts is how the Spirit of God uses uh, Paul and his missionary team, the church at Antioch, the church in Jerusalem. Uh, now, today, we're going to see he, he starts another launching pad from Ephesus, how that God multiplies his work, and literally how the word of the Lord grows. Uh, what I want you to see, and we looked at this last Wednesday night, when we saw how the church fulfilling her calling is literally unstoppable and, and because we're proclaiming the unstoppable gospel that can transform hearts and minds and lives and even turn a community and communities uh, 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 upside down. Today, we're going to see again in this kind of summary statement, it's really this whole section is a summary about uh, giving us a picture of how God's word uh, prevails, how God's word multiplies, how God's word changes communities and progresses even into the darkest places. Uh, this is so important for us. I, I don't know about you, but I become... Uh, a, ever more aware each, with each passing day how, um, how challenging 21st century Christianity can be. In a world where uh, I was born, uh, when we talked about Jesus, most everyone, if not everyone, knew exactly who we were talking about. That, that's not the truth anymore. It, it, it can't be said, even in the seven cities of Hampton Roads. When we talked about God sent his son on a mission to rescue sinners, most of the people that I encountered understood at least the foundations of that statement. They understood that that was found somewhere in the scripture. And, and yet today, we can't say that anymore. We would always, in the communities in which I grew up, and even when I first started pastoring, uh, the church itself was admired and pastors were respected and, and, and not because of anything in, in, in that pastor or even in the church, but they were admired and respected because they were a force of good and they held uh, in their heart uh, the truth of God. And even people who were far from God uh, understood the value of church and that's just not the case anymore. Uh, so how do we confront a culture that is uh, uh, at best wanting the church to, and, and the gospel to be pushed to the margins, at worst wanting to uh, snuff out its influence altogether? How do we live in that kind of community? Well, that's where Paul and the first church and, and the church at Jerusalem and the church at Antioch in Syria, the church now in Ephesus, that's where they lived. Uh, they were a marginalized voice. They, didn't, they weren't Jewish, uh, the, the Jewish people. They were being separated more increasingly through the, in the communities from the Jewish synagogue. They, they, they weren't on the legitimate religious uh, 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 spectrum for the ancient Near East and in the uh, uh, Hellenistic culture of, of the day. 
they, were, uh, they were not the leading voice in downtown on Main Street. They were a marginalized voice. And yet they progressed so much that the word of God prevailed. My, look at uh, Acts chapter 19, verse 20. This is the last verse we'll look at today. But I want us to see where this summary statement ends. Look at verse 20 of Acts 19. So the word of the Lord grew and mightily prevailed. The word of the Lord grew and mightily prevailed. When, when we as a church look at the, uh, the currents of our culture and look at the, the landscape of the, the, uh, uh, the world in which we live, we need to understand that, that the power uh, still resides in the Word of God. It is, it is the Word of the Lord that prevails mightily. It's, it's not our political machinations. It's not our, uh, our, our, our uh, media savvy. It is the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is a summary statement, a, a, a kind of a, a code for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when we consider the first church and how they were pressing forward throughout the ancient Near East with nothing more than the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how that was literally transforming communities, how it was literally changing hearts and lives and minds. And we have hope today. Guys, look, what we need to major on is the word of God, the gospel. That's our calling to tell others who Jesus is and how he fits in God's grand plan. So when we look at this passage today, beginning uh, in chapter 18, verse 18, uh, we see that, that uh, uh, when we are faithful uh, to fulfill our calling, the word of the Lord will grow and prevail. Prevail is a term of victory, overcoming all other forces. I believe that if you have somebody that holds to an ideology that is contrary uh, to the truth of God found in the word of God, and you have the, the truth of God found in the word of God, one is true, the other is counterfeit. I want to major on the truth and let others see the counterfeit in light of the truth. That's how the apostle Paul did it, and that's how we must do it. So often we want as a church to major on the counterfeit. We want to rail against the counterfeit. And I understand that inclination. I understand that desire. But guys, the design for the word of God prevailing is to focus on the truth and let the truth outshine the false. Let the false be revealed in the hearts and the minds and the, and, and the, the lives of individuals when they see the truth. Let's talk about the truth of God. And the more we focus on the truth of God, the more it will prevail against the false. So what should we do? How do we allow the word of God or how do we as a church fulfill our calling um, and see the word of God prevail? Well, first, the word of God prevails when we are all in for Jesus. In this summary statement, verses 18 through 23, we see that the, uh, the Apostle Paul was giving himself consistently to the will of God. 
in, in uh, verse 21, uh, they were asking Paul to stay in Ephesus, but he said, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem. I will return again to you. And here are the key words, God willing. That wasn't just some offhand remark. It was the lifestyle of the Apostle Paul and how he led the missionary team, everything that he did. Uh, whether it was stay in Ephesus or go uh, to Corinth or go down Jerusalem or back to Antioch, wherever he went, whatever he did, he did God willing. He was all in in submission and surrender to God. He was living out what he would write in, this, uh, in, in, in the book of Acts 18, uh, ch chapter 18, verse 18 to chapter 19, verse 20. During that time frame, he wrote his, his uh, letter to the churches in Galatia. And in Galatians 2.20, he said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That was the theme. God willing. God, God directed Paul's steps. He was all in. Wherever God said go, he would go and he would leave the consequences and the results up to God. If God said stay, Paul would stay and he would leave the consequences and the results up to God. He was all in. He went to hard places. He went to difficult places. He did difficult things because he was committed to courageously pursue God's purpose and will. Now that's how the word of God prevailed then and now to have a church committed fully and completely to God willing. Whatever God wants, that's what I'm going to do. Whatever, wherever God says uh, to go, that's where I'm going to go. If God says don't go, I won't go. I'm going to be all in, submitted, surrendered completely to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in, in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When the church commits itself all in like that, the word of the Lord prevails mightily. So the word prevails when we are all in for Jesus. Secondly, the word prevails when we train up disciples. Apollos uh, came to Ephesus, uh, beginning in verse, uh, uh, verse uh, 24. Apollos came to Ephesus, uh, and he was fervent in spirit, and he was preaching the gospel. Uh, and he came from, he was from the city of Alexandria. Now, uh, you and I think of, of dignified and, and uh, uh, influential cities uh, in the United States or in the world. You think of places like Paris or London. Uh, places like Rome, uh, you look at places like uh, uh, New York City or Washington D.C. or Los Angeles. All of these, or all of these places, have have uh, a reputation of being influencing centers for the world in different ways. Some good, some bad. Alexandria uh, was the headquarters of of influence. Uh, as Athens was in uh, classical Greek uh, uh, culture, Alexandria was in Hellenistic culture. It, it was the center for learning. It's the place where uh, 70 scholars translated the uh, uh, Old Testament 
from Hebrew into Greek. It's called the Septuagint. It, it, it's the place where libraries are filled with sacred texts and the uh, written word. It's where people went to learn and study and grow. And Apollos was a guy from Alexandria. And uh, somewhere during that time in his growing up years, he learned the sacred scripture of the Old Testament. And he became a follower of Jesus. Uh, and he determined by God's grace that he would go on mission just as Paul did. And Apollos is not someone we read a lot about. We hear uh, something about him in, in uh, 1 Corinthians. But, uh, but here, Apollos uh, came preaching. He was fervent in spirit. And even though he preached the gospel boldly in the synagogue, he needed more discipleship. Look at verse 25 and 26. This man, being Apollos, had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew then only the baptism of John. That's John the Baptist. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now, what, what I want you to see, Aquila and Priscilla were part of Paul's missionary team. And Paul had left them in Ephesus uh, to continue his work, uh, continue the church work there. They were leaders of the church, Aquila and Priscilla, a married couple. They were leaders there uh, in, in uh, the church at Ephesus. And so when Apollos came and he's preaching boldly in the synagogue, they say, wow, here's a great communicator of the gospel. But they heard things in his message that were lacking. And so Aquila and Priscilla, man and woman, take Apollos aside and explain to him more accurately. By the way, uh, Priscilla is regularly named first. When Luke describes Priscilla and Aquila, Priscilla, the wife, is named first. And most scholars agree it's because Priscilla was the uh, more dominant one. She was the one who was more out loud and, 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 uh, and, and, and diligent and persistent. Uh, it is interesting that here is Aquila uh, and Priscilla, male and female, man and woman, coming and teaching, discipling, uh, Apollos. And they explained to him more accurately the things of God, more accurately the will of God and the word of God. Uh, they discipled Apollos. Now, here's uh, kind of uh, what we need to take hold of in our lives today. Every Apollos needs an Aquila and Priscilla. And every Aquila and Priscilla needs an Apollos. I need someone that I'm helping grow up in their walk with Jesus. And I need someone else who's helping me grow up in my walk with the Lord Jesus. We all need discipleship, and we should all be engaged in a discipleship journey with someone. That's one of the great avenues or beginning points in our life groups here at First Norfolk. It's a place for us to connect with other believers and grow in our walk with Christ. And it's a place where we share and receive discipleship. I want to encourage you, if you're not in a discipleship uh, relationship with someone else, today's the day for you to commit. You've got to have it. We all need discipleship. And if you're not discipling someone, I want to encourage you to take 
ownership of helping someone else grow up in their relationship with Jesus. Uh, if you uh, have struggles figuring out how to make that happen, start with the life group and, and look for opportunities there as you build relationships and do life together with others uh, and, and disciple one another. Uh, the word of God prevails when we disciple, train up disciples. The second uh, encounter that we see is uh, found in chapter 19. If you look in verses 1 and following, you see that uh, Paul has made his, his way uh, to Ephesus. And while uh, Apollos was over at Corinth, and we read about him at Corinth in 1 Corinthians, uh, and, 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 and Paul comes to Ephesus, and, and he encounters uh, 12 disciples um, who had not been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And for, in fact, verse 2, Paul says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, we have not so much as heard of, of uh, whether there is a Holy Spirit. And Paul said, into what name were you baptized? They said, in the name of John, uh, John the Baptist, just as Apollos was. And Paul uh, said, John's baptism uh, uh, was a baptism of repentance, saying that people should repent their sin, uh, but they should believe on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, verse 5, when they heard, uh, uh, heard the gospel proclaimed, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, we, we're not really sure what this encounter between Paul and the 12 uh, disciples, Mathetes, uh, in, uh, in chapter 19 speaks to us. Are these 12 people, people who have been rescued by God's grace and yet uh, have not yet received the Holy Spirit, or are these 12 people who have heard about the gospel uh, or about uh, John and his baptism are pursuing, like God fears, the will of God, but they've yet to be saved. Uh, well, Luke calls them disciples, which would give indication that they are followers of Jesus. Uh, they have been baptized in John the Baptist's name, just as Apollos was, but they had yet to receive the Holy Spirit. So John, uh, Paul shares with them uh, again that Baptism is not sufficient to save, but rather you must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You must put your faith in Jesus. And so these 12 men say, okay, we put our faith in Jesus and they're baptized. And that baptism leads to an experience of the Holy Spirit that they had not yet had. Can, can I tell you, uh, there are lots of different um, angles that we can take these few verses, but can I tell you that baptism itself is an act of discipleship? I want you to look specifically verses 8 through 10 um, and, and, and see uh, the result of this life-transforming work of discipleship in the church. So Apollos was discipled by Aquila and Priscilla. Uh, these 12 disciples were discipled by the Apostle Paul, and baptism was an expression of, I'm a follower of Jesus. I put my faith in Jesus. And by the way, have you been baptized as a believer? Not, uh, 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 not denigrating any other idea, but John's baptism was insufficient without faith in Jesus Christ. Once faith in Jesus Christ is, is uh, proclaimed, then baptism follows that uh, demonstration of faith. 
Uh, so discipleship produces life change, uh, and it produces a transformation. The Word of God prevails when we train up disciples. Now, look at how the church is acting, verses 8 through 10. And this is the church at Ephesus. And so Paul went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading. There's that term reason again. Paul went to the synagogue, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way, that's being a follower of Jesus before the multitude, Paul departed from them and withdrew the disciples and began reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. So uh, as we look at this, here's the picture that Paul paints. We, we, we fulfill our calling, and the word of God prevails when we train up disciples. Part of training up disciples is doing the long, arduous, hard work of opening God's word and reasoning through God's word, how that life in Christ uh, can be found. Paul was evangelizing. He was sharing the gospel. He was telling people who Jesus was uh, to those who were far from God, those who were distant from the family of God. But he went on and he continued for two years in the school of Tyrannus, developing the believers in the church, discipling them, helping them see how that their life should be different. So here is the church doing what the church is supposed to be doing, training up disciples and making new disciples, training up disciples and making new disciples, training up disciples and making new disciples. Uh, always focused on Jesus, telling others who Jesus is. For their salvation, telling others who Jesus is. For their sanctification, we must be in the business of telling others who Jesus is. And as we do that, verse 10, uh, we do it in such a way so that from this church, all the people in the seven cities of Hampton Roads will hear the word of the Lord. As we train up disciples and as we make new disciples, and as we train up those new disciples to be missionary followers of Jesus, they go into their community and they tell others who Jesus is, and this glorious cycle of the word of the Lord prevailing continues. Guys, listen. The system is set. The spirit of God is active. The power of God is resident in his word, but we must be faithful to make new disciples and to train up disciples. And the church at Ephesus was committed to that glorious task. And uh, as they faithfully trained up disciples and made new disciples, then God was victorious through the church. I, I want you to get the hint of how God began to work. In verses 11 and following, Paul uh, is going around and people are being healed in a miraculous, unusual way uh, at the hands of Paul, they're bringing handkerchiefs and aprons and, and, and uh, they, they're laying it, aprons and handkerchiefs from sick people and laying it before Paul and, and, and people are being healed and, and uh, diseases are being cast out and demons are being uh, expelled. At verse 13 uh, and following, we hear the, the seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest who sought to cast out an evil spirit. And verse 15 says, the evil spirit said to those seven sons of Sceva, uh, I, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but I've never heard of you. And uh, the, uh, the man in whom the evil spirit 
in whom there was an evil spirit, leapt on these seven sons of Sceva. They overpowered them, prevailed against them, and, and they ran away naked and disgraced. Beginning in verse 17, uh, we hear about how God's work uh, through the church was uh, renowned. Uh, when this became known, so Paul uh, was proclaiming the name of Jesus and the church was proclaiming the name of Jesus. Miracles were being performed in and through the church, in and through the apostle Paul. Uh, the seven sons of Sceva encounter, uh, who uh, sons of the chief priests uh, there in Ephesus, of the synagogue in, in Ephesus, uh, they thought that they had the juice to take on an evil spirit. The evil spirit says, I know who Paul is. I know who Jesus is. I don't know you. And, and, and the evil spirit uh, uh, beats the seven sons of Sceva up so that the whole community in Ephesus begins to recognize that the power, the victory over diseases and evil spirits and emptiness in life is found in the person of Jesus Christ, this same one that the church in Ephesus was proclaiming. So verse 17, this became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. And fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. That verse 18 tells the story of what happens when the work of God is prevailing, the word of God is prevailing. It gets hold our hearts. And even those of us who are followers of Jesus, we begin to see our own wickedness and we begin to confess our own sinfulness. And so many, who, verse 18, many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Uh, verse 19, also many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them, uh, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Uh, when, the, when the church uh, is committed uh, to uh, uh, be all in for Jesus, and when we train up uh, uh, disciples uh, of Jesus and make new disciples of Jesus, then fear falls on them all. The word of God grows. The name of Jesus is magnified and communities are transformed. Even the church is um, brought into focus their faithfulness to Jesus. I want to I ask you if... Uh, you see the word of God prevailing in our church. I believe that it begins with me and with you. If the word of God is going to prevail in our, in our community, it must prevail in our church. If it's going to prevail in our church, it must prevail in our lives. Are you submitted to the will of God revealed in the word of God in your daily life? And this is one of the challenges to me. I, I pray, oh God, may your word prevail in my heart so that I might be an instrument by which your word may prevail in this family of faith called First Norfolk so that this church might be an instrument in your hand through which the word, your word prevails in the seven cities of Hampton Roads. You see, it begins with you and me. So I want to ask you, does the word of God prevail? Verse 18 is really an application for us when we see through God's word places where his word is not prevailing in our lives, in our attitudes, our actions, our words, our practices, our beliefs even. We bring those 
and we lay them before the foot of Christ's cross. We confess and turn from those things and we give ourselves all in once again to the work of Christ. Today, I pray that the word of God would prevail mightily in you and in me. Today, I pray that the word of God would prevail mightily in our church so that as we pray, the word of God would prevail mightily in the seven cities of Hampton Roads. May God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May he bless your coming in. May he bless your going out. And may he fill your life with submission to his will. God bless you and good evening.